There are always a lot of questions about the role of Scrum Master. Are they a leader who serves or a servant leader? Are they primarily a facilitator or a coach or someone who helps remove the team's impediments? Like I said, a lot of questions. Do they need to be a full-time Scrum Master? Or do mature Scrum teams still need a Scrum Master? Or the big one, is a Scrum Master really needed at all? Today, Scrum Inc. consultant, trainer, and coach Bobby Woods and I game out four common scenarios that leaders consider when deciding how, or even if, one of the three Scrum roles are going to be filled. We talk the good, the bad, and the can-get-ugly. I'm Tom Bullock, and this is Unlocking Agile. Unlocking Agile is brought to you by Scrum Inc., from private and public training courses to leadership workshops, team launches, coaching, and full organizational transformations, we offer agile solutions to partners large and small. Curious how Scrum Inc. can help you? Contact us at scruminc.com. Bobby, always good to talk to you. You too, Tom. I want to start with the role of Scrum Master itself. Because there's always a lot of question about this role in particular. Is it needed and why? Yeah, you know, that's a great place to start because we get that question a lot, like you mentioned. And a lot of times it comes from leadership because they're thinking, all right, we're going to have to look at hiring new people or changing contract negotiations, any of those items. And so they need to start with the why and understanding the value of even having that role there. And so when we think in those terms, we, I often use a basketball analogy, a, a sports metaphor of some sort to be able to say, you know, if you want to bring together a group of people and have them learn how to do something and be successful in doing it, they might be talented, they might be athletic, but they need to have somebody there to help them to get good at the fundamentals. And the fastest way to do that, I mean, you could throw everybody on the court and say, hey, go make it happen, right? And watch some TV, right? Get some YouTube videos, but they won't be successful quickly. And what's going to happen is they're going to get beat a lot and potentially even wind up giving up altogether thinking, look, we're not basketball players. But if they have somebody to come in that knows it and that can help walk them through it, then they get better faster and they start to own it quicker. And so why having that role there is so that the team can really embrace what it is that they're, they've chosen to do from a process perspective, and they can apply it and see success the fastest. Uh, a lot of times as we're doing our trainings, I will use the analogy of a dog sled team. And I'll ask the attendees to think about this visual of a dog sled team and where you think the scrum master might represent within that dog sled team. And I generally get one of two answers as I'm asking the audience for, for the, the, the answer there. And they wind up giving me either it's a lead dog or it's the musher. And that's very common. But the visualization I want to try to give them for this role is the scrum master is the harness. They are the harness for that team. They're keeping everybody moving in the same direction, working together as a team. 
And so that complete that creates a completely different type of visual for why that role is there. Because without that harness, everybody goes off in different directions and nobody gets anything done. And so you do have lead dogs on that team. You might have a lead developer, lead architect. And the person on the sled is generally going to be your product owner. They have the vision. They know where we're going. But that harness is critical to everybody having success. You've identified the value created by a scrum master for new teams, right? That's the teaching them fundamentals and the harness that holds these teams together. And I have to give you credit here, Bobby, because I never thought I'd hear somebody mix two sports metaphor <laughs> metaphors into the same <laughs> same conversation or same answer and have them be as diverse as basketball and dog sled. But let's talk about, again, putting ourselves in a leader's mind. Why would we add this additional overhead, salary, whatever, for an experienced team? Because if your team already has fundamentals, what then does a scrum master, is a scrum master required when you have a experienced team doing scrum? Yeah, so I, not long ago, probably two years ago, had the opportunity to talk to a former NBA player who had started his own organization. And it was, quite frankly, team development and leadership coaching is what he was doing. And he had come up with this theory of how to put a team together with all these diverse skill sets across that team. And as he was mentioning what each one was, I asked him if he felt that there was value in having somebody there as a facilitator, as a part of that group. Because they could be working for a long time, but across those different personalities, skill sets, ways of working, communication styles, it put a light bulb over his head that you could potentially need to have somebody there to help draw everyone together. Going back to the dog sled analogy and the harness. And, and he changed the way he was looking at putting those teams together, including a facilitator in it. So you can have a team that might have been working together for a while, but when you're starting a new way of working, like applying Scrum or another framework, when you are talking about a new product development, everybody starts to go back to square, maybe not square one, but square three. And having that facilitator there to help even a mature team as they're going through the process of learning how they're going to work on this new item together, potentially adding people in, new skill sets coming in. How we're adapting that going forward is huge in rapid product development, rapid solution delivery. And what we've seen is that making sure that that person's there with the team accelerates the success of the team and their outcomes. For the final point here about whether or not a, a scrum master or the role of scrum master is actually necessary for an agile team, <clears throat> I want to look at the flip side. Sometimes the easiest way to prove something is to look at the negative, the absence of that thing. What happens in agile teams or scrum teams in your experience when there is no scrum master or even someone playing the role of scrum master? So if there is no scrum master at all there, then you're really relying on the team to fully embrace the accountability for their process themselves. And you might have differing opinions across it. And what winds up happening is, in my experience, it's very rare to see everybody quickly and consistently be on the same page. 
And so you have a lot of disillusionment on one side. Somebody generally may just step up themselves and begin taking on that role uh, at the behest of, of everyone or just irritating everybody because they think they own it and they're stepping up because they feel someone needs to own it. So without having that person there, you see a lot of what we refer to as anti-patterns for being able to display great agility. Bobby, for this episode, the keys that we're going to discuss are actually four separate but common scenarios about how to implement, or in some cases, obviously, how not to implement the Scrum Master role. I want you to walk these through us each by looking at two things. Describe it for us with the obvious upside, and then we're going to ask you what the downsides are to each, so that way people can weigh this on their own. Sound fair? Yeah, that's fair. And just to preface that or go along with it, these are some of the ones that we see as most common. There's lots of different permutations that could be associated with it, but here's what we see the most. The first scenario that you laid out, you refer to as the ideal. What is it and what makes it ideal? So the ideal is being able to bring someone into the organization because we don't have them already and we already have the titles of people that have jobs internally and they're all dedicated. So we bring somebody in from the outside and they've got the experience. They've been doing this before. They've been there, done that. They know what it takes to go into a company, into a new team and help them to support them in those efforts, to build relationships outside the team, to be the harness for the team, to be able to set that strong foundation because they bring that experience to the table. That sounds great. What's the downside? Okay, so the downside to that is that you got to go out and hire somebody. <laughs> you, you have to actually find someone with that experience to say, come on in and, and start setting an example for how this works internal to the company. So in addition to the hire, they have to get used to who the players are, have to understand what the communication styles and what it is we're trying to accomplish and, and what potential anti-patterns that might be out there that they have to adapt to and learn how to coach, kind of team coaching that's going to go on in that role. So there's a there's a learning curve associated with bringing someone into the company that's never been here. But that learning curve is shorter than someone that would be internal to the company, but would have to learn all of the skills that a good scrum master possesses. Correct. I understand. So the second scenario is, I love this, you call it the somewhat ideal. And I did just do air quotes. Walk us through that. So the somewhat ideal is that we do have someone in the company who's willing to step up and play that role, which is great because we love to, to see the, the diamond in the rough, the folks that say, you know what, and I've seen this on a number of occasions where they say to themselves, I feel like this is something that I've been doing for a while or it really fits my personality or, or an area I want to go into. That's great because they're excited about it and we want to let them grow into that role. So they'll need to grow into this role. Is that part of the downside? That is part of the downside. And I'm glad you called that out because it's going to take time for them to go from what they were doing from a job perspective, transitioning into this. And that means that they're probably going to need some sort of training. They're going to have to learn about the framework that they're implementing. And so while the team's learning, they are learning at the same time. And so we have to be patient with them and what they're learning and making that transition and understand that the team's ability to succeed faster 
is going to be very much predicated on how much they're able to help while they're learning in that new role. And I assume that since they're already internal to the company, they would have had another role. It also could be that the, their new their new role of Scrum Master could be interrupted by people expecting them to continue to do that old role. Absolutely, absolutely. There's definitely this effect of, hey, there's a piece of you that we kind of still needed from this over this other area. And so leadership has to make that mental division. No, we need to support them in what they're doing now. The other downfall of this is that they could have to backfill for the position that that person was leaving in. So there's still a hire required. So your third scenario of the four, Bobby, is, uh, well, I'll say that you nicely labeled this one less ideal. What is it and why is it less ideal? So the less ideal scenario is that we have somebody that's willing to play this role, but they're split. They have a developer side of what they're doing. They're one of the folks on the team that is helping to to actually provide solutions, create product, do the work. And we're also having them be a scrum master. And part of the reason this is less ideal, and, and quite frankly, I would say this is probably the one we see most commonly. Part of the reason this is less ideal is because you're having this person have to context switch continuously between providing prioritized solutions for our customers and helping the team be great in the things that they're doing so that the team can provide prioritized things for the customers. And so there's that constant back and forth and we're putting them in a position of having to make that decision. And the other side of that too is that we often see depending on what the scenario is that leadership wants to lean in and say, look, the scrum master position is really only about 15 to 20% of what you should be doing. Really what we want, you want you to do is the developer work. And so guess what? The team gets 20% of a scrum master. And as we talked about before, that is key to how they progress and are able to deliver going forward. So you're going to get 20% of the effort to support that. And it's not even 20%. I think you could argue here. I mean, if my understanding of what you had to say is correct, it for the scrum master themselves, that person doesn't have 20% of a job and 80% of a job. They actually would have two full-time jobs, scrum mastery and developer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and that's one of the common misunderstandings is that we're putting two hats on top of somebody who really should be full-time. And they're trying to split that across. So you're getting only a very small percentage of both. And when they have to context switch regularly, we know what happens when we context switch. Quality goes down. And so the quality of what they're able to do winds up going down as well on both sides of that. It, what The benefit, I guess you could say, is it's somebody on the team and they're stepping up. We don't have to do a new hire. They already know the organization, that kind of thing. But it's less ideal because of the impact it has both to the person and the team's outcomes. So obviously, this is a big downside to this particular scenario. I see why you call it less ideal. What are the other downsides here? So the other downsides are that this individual, let's think of a professional career path perspective. Right? Do they want to stay in something that is purely technically related or solution related? Do they want to go into a facilitation role? And as they're considering that split, it's kind of unfair when we look at putting a professional plan together, 
right? Where do we want them to go? What's going to help them through their career? That split creates a problem right there. When it comes to what the team's expectations are of that individual, uh, is there a common understanding of, look, they've got stuff on the board that they're trying that we're expecting them to push through, or if there's something going on with the team that they feel they have to resolve and help come to conclusions on to make the team better, is a product owner going to be okay with that not getting done from a, a product perspective? And so there's just creates a lot of, you know, what I refer to as wonkiness associated with how that person's expected to deliver. It sounds like a really bad scenario. And yet you have a fourth scenario here <laughs> that is just flatly labeled worst case. Bobby, what is the worst case scenario in your experience? Yeah, so the worst case scenario, which it's really hard to find an upside, and I'll give you what the perceived upside is, is that the role is spread across the team, just like on a monthly basis or quarterly basis or something like that. So it's like Scrum Master by committee. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you can almost say the committee is responsible for it as a whole, but this is more like duck, duck, goose. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so at some point we stop and your hands on somebody's head and say, guess what? You get to be scrum master for the next month. And oftentimes we'll see people say, well, this gives everybody the opportunity to see how important the role is and what it takes to do it. And so they, they get a greater appreciation for it. And it's not just uh, landing on one person and we can plan around, you know, whether they're available or not for delivery I get the mindset, but inevitably there are downsides. So what would those downsides be? Inevitably, what's going to happen is that as they're doing that duck-duck-goose rotation, it's going to land on somebody that doesn't want to do it. And so guess how much effort they're actually going to put into this at the end of the day? Very little, and they're going to hate it. They're not going to grow in appreciation for it. They're going to grow to loathe the fact that, that we are forcing them to do it. And that could happen with a number of team members, especially if we have a situation if we actually ask the team, hey, would someone like to be the scrum master going up to the number three less ideal, right? Going to assign it to somebody on the team and everybody said, no, nobody wants to do it. Okay, well, great. Everybody's going to do it. You know, one person at a time. No one's going to love it. Everyone's going to hate it. Nobody's going to put any effort into it. The other thing is, as we're trying to expand to help other teams or other parts of the organization understand the importance of working with us as a scrum team, as an agile team, then they need someone to go to that can be the facilitator for that team. They're going to be expecting it to be there. Who is it? Well, last month it was Sally. This month it's Joe. Next month it's going to be Frank. And so we get no sense of cadence for who to work with with blockers or dependencies or anything like that. So it just creates a, a scenario where nobody wants to do it. There's no appreciation for it. Uh, people are hating the fact that it's even involved in what we're doing and nobody can interact with our team. There's just really seems to be no upside to doing this. It sounds like a surefire way to kill any agile transformation or acceleration. I mean, it's everything that, for all those John Cotter fans out there, this is not an army of the of volunteers. It's a platoon of the voluntold, and it's just not going to work. Absolutely. Developing what you might call malicious obedience. Yeah, indeed. Well, Bobby, thank you for those four scenarios. And the keys to unlocking agile in this episode is obviously figuring out which of these four scenarios work best for you, your team, and your organization 
I'm going to strongly advise against anything labeled worst case, but the choice is up to you. Bobby, thanks again. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Now, before we go, I have one favor to ask. If you're enjoying Unlocking Agile, please leave us a review and a bucket load of stars. It helps spread the word about the podcast and agility. Also, keep an eye out for the next episode of Unlocking Agile, brought to you by Scrum Inc.